it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and may just attempt to get some final mileage out of Palace winning at Old Trafford on Saturday just to annoy producer Guy. I'm Kevin Day here in rainy South London. Hello Rain, my old friend. And over there in Sussex is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. How are you Kieran? I'm I'm very good, Kevin. I went to the FA Cup preliminary round last night. I've, I'm getting quite a taste for non-league football, mm. um, and, it, and it's just good to be there with you, mates. Yeah, just who did talk, you see just last talking night? nonsense. You know, that's that's what we blokes are good at doing. Well, you mean talking nonsense over a microphone and a distance of sixty miles is not good enough for you, Kieran? You have to do it in person with people. Who did you watch last night? Uh, it was Haywards Heath versus somebody near Enfield, and uh, the away team won. Oh. So they've gone through to the first uh, first qualifying round, um, and the money that brings, of course. Uh, yes. they, they made £1,444 from last night. Yes, well, my, my cousin is in goal for Stalybridge Celtic, and they went through to the first qualifying round last night as well. So, um, Speaking of final mileage, Kieran, we... Um, We've said goodbye to Audi. Um, we have a new sponsor, uh, who I imagine are your favourite newspaper. It is. It's, it's the Financial Times. Yeah. So uh, yes, uh, the Big Pinken is uh, is something I always look forward to, and uh, yeah, I think they'll, they'll 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 prove to be a good sponsor. We've got a lot in common. <laughs> How long do you think it will be before we get tired of saying the Big Pinken? Well, I've not got tired after about fifty years of puerile behaviour, yeah. so I I hope never. Yeah, you're still you're still relishing the big purple button at the end as well, aren't you? Uh, now, later in this episode, we will be hearing from Berry fan uh, Sani Rudravagila, one of the producers and presenters of the new BBC Sounds podcast, Out of Our League, which is all about Berry's expulsion from the EFL last year. Uh, Kieran, I'm not sure I approve, actually, of interviewing producers, but um, we'll interview Sani as a presenter, and I believe you helped them out. Uh, yes, they, they, they came to the uh, university to, to interview me about how on earth Berry got into this terrible situation. So um, I, I happened to have a spreadsheet or two uh, on the club. So, so we had a long chat. It was it was a bit embarrassing at the time because there were two TV camera crews and the guys from the podcast. So it made me look like a bit of a lovey diva. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're good guys. And, and I've, I've listened to the first few episodes. It's been produced really well. It's done with, with a great deal of passion. Um, and I'd recommend it to anybody to ever listen. Trust me, I work in a business that's full of lovey divas, Kieran. I sniffed you out right from the start. Seriously. I worked out right from the very start that all I have to do is throw a microphone at you and you'd be happy. Um, it's it's Newsday, Kieran, and as ever, I'm putting off talking about actual news because it's not been particularly good lately 
uh, as usual, unfortunately. And, of course, the big story is that plans for fans to begin to return to football from the 1st of October have been shelved. The National League have already said their new season will not start on the 3rd of October if fans can't attend. Uh, we should stress, Kieran, that the, the six months everyone is talking about is not set in stone. Everyone's assuming that because Boris Johnson mentioned six months. But whatever, it's not good, is it? No, I, I think it's it's a real body blow for for the sport, but not not just football, all sports. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, whether you're a fan or or a player or, or an executive or whoever, um, yeah, the, the news the, the news is grim. Uh, the the pilot schemes which had taken place successfully last weekend uh, have effectively been wasted, and all of those clubs that have been in, involved with the pilot schemes they've lost money. Yeah, because hosting just a thousand people is is by the time you've paid for your your COVID testing, your your compliance, your stewarding, your turnstiling, and so on, you you are now going to be out of pocket, um, and 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 all the hard work that's gone into it has effectively been wasted. L- looking at the the, the different leagues, the, the Premier League. Uh, you know, it, it's going to lose six hundred million pounds in match day income alone. Uh, it, it, you've got you've got big clubs, you know, the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool. All the hospitality work that they do that won't be able to take place. Um, but it's only one pound in every eight yeah. comes through the turnstiles. So the, the Premier League should be in a be- better position. And by better, I do not mean good, by the way. Yeah. But they're in a better position than the clubs in the EFL. Um, Rick Parry's written to the government today to say, you know, football's in the EFL, that they're looking at a £200 million loss mm. um, in the EFL as, as a result of this. You know, we, we know that uh, the Prime Minister said, you know, six months is, is, a, is a vague, vague Number, but uh, you know he's fairly vague on anything yeah. um, these days. And, and you know, regardless of your party politics, nobody's nobody's got a crystal ball as to when this this damn thing is going to you know have we make some progress on. The, the problem is clubs in the EFL were in a mess before COVID nineteen, and if they're looking for some form of financial support, that could either be um, government grants, it could be government loans. Um, that's likely to come at a price because if you've got an industry where you've got people spending £200 on wages for every £100 that comes through the door willingly, because nobody forces club owners to sign these these uh, these wage agreements with players, you're not going to get a lot of sympathy. Um, so trying to say to the government, you, know, you hold on, you know, these football clubs represent the identity and the community and, and the heartbeat of many towns and cities is going to be a struggle because of the poor governance, the poor tra- transparency um, and, and the poor management of, of clubs in, in, in the EFL. Not all clubs. You know, we, we've said before, we, we've got plenty of good ones. Uh, the likes of Lincoln and Shrewsbury and Burton and Accrington and, and uh, Tranmere Rovers and so on. We've got, yeah, we've got lots of clubs of whom we have very high positive regard. Um, but there, there's, there's too many that have run it in a cavalier way uh, in, in recent years. And, and they, were, they were in no position to cope with something of this nature. And under those circumstances, how, how can you go to the government and say, can you, can you give us a handout? Yeah, the, the, the Prime Minister had some you know, ostensibly fine words to say. He talked about how essential sport was to the community, et cetera, and mental well-being, et cetera, et cetera. But without adding anything about how he planned to help them financially, um, Michael Gove 
infuriated me with comments that have gone under the radar a little bit when he essentially said, uh, it's, yes, we, we understand that football grounds are, are, are very safe environments and that you can get people in and out in a COVID safe way. But, you know, fans have to mix on trains and fans will go into pubs, won't they? Which is just so annoyed me. It's just like theatres are still open. So you can trust people to go to theatres without hugging each other and licking each other. But apparently you can't trust football fans to do it. Um how does it? I mean, the, the furlough scheme will continue presumably, but on, on at sixty percent, I guess, for League One, League Two clubs. Um, well, I mean, the, the furlough scheme doesn't make a lot of difference in the Championship when you look at the level of player wages. Remember, the furlough scheme is a job retention scheme. So, if you're claiming furlough money, you cannot carry on your traditional jobs. So. As far as football clubs are concerned, they need to play because if if, if the EFL clubs don't play, then they lose the TV deal. So they're they're between the devil and the deep blue sea, as the Sisters of Mercy once sang. And um, this this is it's a genuine problem. If you're going to play matches in front of zero audiences, um, there is a financial gap uh, that I, don't, I just don't see how the clubs can cope with. And, and then we've got the issue of the National League. The National League was due to start on the 3rd of October. They, they'd, they had delayed because they'd hoped that progress was going to have been made in terms of this, this horrible position where they're in. But they have, they effectively, the, the BT TV deal is worth peanuts. Um, therefore, they are very dependent upon match day income. And now they, they can't have fans attending. Um, what happens in terms of Macclesfield Town? Because mm. I, I was looking at the uh, one of the EFL pronouncements before they they finally skewered Macclesfield Town out of the EFL uh, recently, and it said uh, if if a if the if the National League isn't taking place, then we will not allow one of our clubs to be relegated to that league. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's a complete mess as well. Um, I, I looked at the finances of the National League clubs, and I, I only got as far as the main National League, so apologies if you support National League North or South. They were losing £300,000 a week between them, and that was pre-COVID. So they're, mm. they're in no position to, to to be able to play football because costs are exceeding revenues pre-COVID. Well, also, there was a stage when the EFL were reluctant to ratify Barrow's promotion and Harrogate's promotion uh, if if the National League didn't continue for them to be relegated back into as well, wasn't they? They, they weren't happy about that. So that's a, another grey area. In, in terms of the broadcast deal in, in the Premier League, will we be assuming that the, the games will continue free to air until such time as this is over? Or, or can the broadcasters simply not afford to do that? Um, I, I, well, the broadcasters have paid for certain matches for which they've got exclusive rights. Um I think what we will be moving towards is something similar to the EFL iFollow system mm. um, where fans pay to, to watch matches. Now, that will either come out as a as a chunk of, if you have bought a season ticket, uh, you know, whether they're going to be charging you £10 a match or whatever it's going to be, um, then, then you can buy into that. I, I don't think the Premier League itself will be keen for these matches to go free to air because what's in it for them? Um, then I can't see the broadcasters paying additional amounts because they they've suffered along with everybody else. So I think all we, what we've got at present for September was an opportunity for the Premier League clubs to buy some time um, to work out a system. The EFL are ahead of them in this game because iFollow has been working. But it, when you when you look at iFollow, and we're going to take a look at it in more depth later. 
uh, you know, quite often it's it's one camera with a, with a radio commentary from the local BBC station, um, and uh, it, it's I think the, the reaction of fans has been mixed. I think it's the politest thing I can say about mm. it. I, I have a feeling, uh, Kieran, that this this government won't be won't want to be the government that loses football, that loses rugby league, that loses horse racing. So I I suspect that they will come to some kind of deal with with sports to allow people back in, in in some sort of way before that six months expires. I, I was talking to Phil Alexander, the CEO at Palace, last week about various things, and he said Sellers Park is as safe a place as you can ever be in the country. They've worked very hard on their processes, and I think, hopefully, that they will be able to explain that uh, to the government because they they do have to. The government, this is the third time now that pilot schemes have been have been promised and stopped and as you say they were very successful the ones on Saturday we all saw the footage of, of social distancing being maintained of safe turnstiles of no pinch points so football clubs are ready to, to get people back in and it, it's it's going to be they, they have to the government will have to let them do that and, and it is the rule is it still below level six can can teams like Staley Bridge Celtic that my cousin plays for, or, or Hayward Heath you saw last night. Will they still be able to have people in, or is this across yep, the board? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's down to National League North and South. That's right. the that that's the that's the bottom tier. Uh, so so I'm I'm I've just got tickets to watch a big derby match um, next Tuesday, which is Lewis versus Worthing, and I think they they've restricted the attendance there to 450. But uh, uh, you know it, it's still. It's still positive from the club's point of view. Uh, the, the ground with my favourite name ever, the Dripping Pan. That's the best football ground name ever in the world, bar none. Uh, well, we can still see uh, five friends, can't we? So maybe you and I can go into your football. The postman's late today, isn't he? <laughs> That's the Baroness returning. Oh, is it? Or is that? I thought it was just the mere thought of the, the, me and you meeting up together for a, a drink. The Baroness has trained the dog to look out for any mention. <laughs> as soon as you hear Kevin say, why don't we meet up? Um, anyway, the, the so-called uh, FinCEN files, I believe that's how you pronounce it, um, which are 2,500 or so documents sent to US financial authorities reporting banks' concerns about clients, contain some interesting information about Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich. Now, this leaked information before we talk about Roman Abramovich, is, this is absolutely genuine, this leaked information, is it? Um, apparently so. Um, and uh, it, it all appears to be legal as well. So yeah, oh, let, okay. let's uh, let's let's just uh, reinforce that if uh, Mr. Abramovich's lawyers are listening. Um, so so yes, this is this is the equivalent of uh, WikiLeaks or Footy Leaks or things of this nature. But this is to do with the the transfer of money by normally high net worth individuals uh, across borders, and um, the, the accusations which have been made here are in relation to to Roman Abramovich, and and he owns many companies. Uh, and this particular company called Lyston Holdings is based in the British Virgin Islands. Well, you know, we when we go on our world tour, we've got mm. both the Cayman Islands and the British Virgin Islands as part of our lists when we're recording the podcast there from the uh, from from the money from the sponsorship of the show, of course. Um, and uh, it is uh, there's there's never a good reason to have companies registered in in the British Virgin Islands if you're a believer in transparency. Uh, and good governance and things of that nature. Mm. Uh, and what it turns out is that, that Roman Abramovich appears to have uh, third-party ownership of some footballers, mm. which, which seems strange. You know, if, if you own a football club, 
what, why own individual football players themselves? And, and the player, uh, I think, where the, the intrigue lies is, is a player called Andre Carrillo. Um, he, he was playing for Sporting Lisbon. Lisbon, even. Lisbon. <laughs> I'm getting, getting distracted from my old uh, fantasy football team name there. Um, and, um, yeah, go on. And, and in 2013, uh, Sporting Lisbon were, were playing Chelsea. Uh, in the Champions League, and Andre Carrillo played. So, so here we've we've now got a potential conflict of interest. Mm. You've got Chelsea playing against a team where one of the players is effectively owned by Chelsea's owner. Now, third party ownership in the Premier League has been outlawed since two thousand and eight. Mm. Remember the Carlos Tevez, of course, yeah, uh, kerfuffle. I think is the politest way of describing it. But FIFA didn't uh, outlaw uh, third-party ownership on a global basis until 2015. So, so when this trans- when this match took place, in theory, um, it was perfectly legal. But it just it, it doesn't reflect particularly well on on the integrity of the game. And uh, you know, one of the things that that we I think we love about football, especially in this country. You know, I, you know, we both know there are certain countries in Europe where where matches you can predict uh, with with a, with almost one hundred percent accuracy before they take place. Um, but here we, we like to believe that it is eleven versus eleven. It can be David against Goliath, and and there is this this concept of sporting integrity. Uh, issues of this nature start to chip away at that. Uh, and whilst they might be legal, they, they don't leave a particularly nice taste in the mouth. Do you think Roman Abramovich is even aware that he owns a footballer, let alone that he was playing against his team at the time? I mean, do you not get to a level of business ownership where you, if you were asked to name all the businesses you owned, you'd struggle? No, no, I, I suspect he's got no idea whatsoever. You know, he will he will have a portfolio of investments across a, a myriad of industries and and a huge variety of countries. So, you know, I'm I'm not making I don't think there's anything malevolent in this. It, it it's just something that you know, a bit like Caesar's wife. You, you've got to look good as well as be good. Uh, lovely reference. Uh, Google that, kids. By the way, so I'm I'm not going to go at the pace of the slowest and explain it to you. Um, I think the Cayman Islands and the British Virgin Islands, for very many reasons, are off our list. That quite apart from the fact that as soon as we tried to go through passport control, there some kind of bleep would go off. <laughs> somebody, somebody in those islands, if they listen to the pod, won't be walking us in. Um, a long way from the Cayman Islands is Wigan. Um, Wigan's administrators. There's a link, isn't it? That's what you have. That's what happens when you think of a link on the hoof. A long way from the Cayman Islands is Wigan, and we sent our reporter to see what the sheepdog was doing on a skateboard. Um, Wigan's administrators have turned down a second offer from Norman Smirthwaite, possibly because it was seven hundred thousand pounds lower than the first one. Yes. Uh, so, so what happened here is that uh, Norman Smirthwaite does appear to be one of the slightly more serious uh, bidders for Wigan. Um, he initially offered. 3.3 million for the club, but the asking price is 4 million. Um, he went away and said, no, I'm not prepared to pay that. And then he came back and has offered 3 million. So he's, so he's offered less money on the grounds that, my understanding, is that the administrators have sold a couple of players uh, in the intervening period and, and therefore the club is worth less. No. Uh, I don't think he was deli- overpleased that they'd also sold the training ground. So you, you, you've got to wonder, you know, what, what is he getting? You know, I appreciate there's, there's issues to do with the DW Stadium um, but uh, and the existing squad. Um, looking at social media, uh, 
Port Vale fans, and Norman Smirthwaite is the former owner of Port Vale, yeah. they they are very much warning Wigan fans off him. I think there was a there was a very poor relationship, and uh, I, I think that their view of of the fans at Port Vale, who who are very impassioned on this, and uh, yeah, clearly that they 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 do have a degree of wariness about Norman Smirthwaite. Is it you're going out of the frying pan into the fire? Um, and he will. Uh, he's he's not good news for the club. Mm. Now, Kieran, I've included this story purely so I can settle an argument with Palace fans who seem to think that we've done a good bit of business this week because Crystal Palace have sold their player, Alexander Serlock, to RB Leipzig for £20 million plus add-ons and are giving £10 million of that and half the add-ons to Trabzonspor, uh, a club that is very much not the owner of Alexander Serlock but was on loan there for you. How, how did we allow that to happen, Kieran? Um the, the reason why why that's gone through <laughs> is that, that Alexander the, the door sound effect was very pronounced then. <laughs> was, that putting, was that putting the dog out or the Baroness coming in? Yeah, that was the dog letting himself out. Letting himself out. You keep saying dogs letting him uh, what yeah. We could make money out of that dog, Kieran, you know. <laughs> I, I got him from a farm in Bradford. He is a very smart dog. A farm in Bradford? I've got farm family in Bradford. in Bradford. There's no farms in Bradford. <laughs> You'll be surprised. <laughs> I shall oh, next time I'm up there, I'll say to my cousin Charlie, You got any farms around here, Charlie? No, we haven't got any bloody farms around here. <laughs> um the, the the issue to do with Alexander Sorloff is that he was on a two year loan to um to Trabzantor, and at the end of that there was a there was a there was a buyout of five the buyout price. They could buy him at the end of the loan period for five point five million. So therefore, if they'd wanted to, they could have sat on the player uh, effectively for the next nine months, got to the end of the season, bought him for five and a half million and then sold him to the highest bidder. So uh, unfortunately, um, the, the way that the initial deal was worded, and, and I think, you know, I think you know, you'll, you'll probably confirm this, um, there weren't many tears from Palace fans when he left. No, you know, he, he he hadn't he hadn't delivered uh, in terms of expectations. So you probably thought, well, it's just one of those transfers that's not worked out. We've we managed to find somebody to take him off our hands and take his wages off our hands, and we're going to get a loan fee for two for two years. Um, yeah, that's actually a good deal for the club. It, it turned out that he he rediscovered his form, whether it was you know whether it was the coaching, whether it was environment, whether it was formation tactics. You know, it's 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 not not my my job to say, but clearly it seemed to work for him there. Um, he's he scored plenty of goals in Turkey, and now is it is it Milan that are coming in for him? Uh, Leipzig, Leipzig. Sorry, sorry, oh, yeah. Leipzig. Yeah, sorry. Um, and if they're prepared to pay twenty million, then. Uh, Trabzonspor could have could have waited till the end of the season for the money, or they went back to Palace and say, "Look, here's the deal: you'll make some money out of this. We'll make some money out of this. The player will go on to play at a slightly higher level. Let's let's get round the table and negotiate." And and, th- and this is what's come out of it. So, uh, yeah, Palace could have made more money if if, they, if they'd held on to him and if he'd delivered to the same extent that he has done in Turkey. But you know, there, there's so many ifs and buts in football. It, it's not the worst deal in the world for Palace. Uh, we, had, we had something similar at Brighton with with a, a player who we signed. We then loaned him out, and we had to buy him out of our, his loan mm. in February because we we were struggling to to find a number ten. 
if if we had a recall clause in the contract like most normal clubs do, then we would have just got him back and then sold him and we'd have made 10 extra million pounds, which would have come in very handy. And also, like many Palace players, it makes you wonder about the recruitment policy when we get a player in and suddenly decide he's not good enough. But never mind that. Police in Singapore, Kieran, are investigating a firm linked to the recent bidders for Newcastle United. Yeah, this is a firm called BNG. And I thought, I thought that was Pete Waterman's record label. Mm. But clearly it wasn't. Yeah. Um, this is a company called BNG, um, which is based in Singapore. And in August, they said, uh, following the uh, following the collapse of the PIF deal, um, they were in advanced stages of uh, a, a deal to buy the club from Mike Ashley. Now, there was no noise coming out of Newcastle itself, no noise coming out of the club. Um, and, and then a few things started to emerge about this company, uh, BNG. First of all, they, they started uh, putting out some publicity shots, which appeared to show Barack Obama in their offices. Wow. These, these photographs turned out to be fakes. Hmm. Uh, so that, that wasn't very good from a public relations point of view. And then <clears throat> they're still claiming they're interested in, in Newcastle. Um, then uh, their firm of auditors, one of the, one of the big firms of accountants called Ernst and Young, uh, they they alerted the Singapore police because this this company BNG was then claiming that uh, Ernst and Young, Ernst and Young, had signed off the audit uh, for for some of the the company's subsidiaries based in, you'll, no surprise to us, the Cayman Islands. Oh. And Ernst and Young have said. Uh, Hold on, we've we've never been near this company. These 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 signatures, they're not ours. Oh, um, so uh, as far as wrongans are concerned, it, it does look if Newcastle have have dodged a bullet here, uh, and and whatever these people are up to, uh, it's uh, it, it doesn't well, it certainly doesn't reflect well on them. But uh, you know, for, for for all of the dislike of Mike Ashley, uh, I, I think they're. Newcastle fans are probably better off without these guys around. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, I enjoyed that link uh, so much earlier. I'm going to try it again. Uh, Colchester is a long way from Singapore, Kieran. Um, <laughs> you alluded to this earlier. Robbie Cowling, the Colchester United chairman, um, basically complained that away sides are earning more than home sides from the EFL's streaming service. How is that working? Uh, yeah, so he he put a very detailed uh post up on, on the Colchester United website because nobody's been quite sure about uh, how the iFollow, which is the, the streaming product mm. of the EFL, works. The EFL aren't, aren't very forthcoming when it comes to, to details of things. But it turns out that the way that the system works, is certainly in Leagues 1 and 2, is that the home club gets 100% of the money from the passes sold to home fans, which they are effectively the, the passes sold by... Colchester United itself, yeah. um, but the away team is also allowed to sell passes to its fans, uh, of which the first 500 uh, sales go to the home club, and then everything else goes to the the away team. So so last weekend, Colchester were playing Bolton. Uh, Colchester sold 452 passes. Um, Bolton sold 2,252 so they ended up with £15,000 worth of, of streaming money, effectively gate receipts. And, and as Robbie Cowling said, un, under normal circumstances, if you sell tickets in the away end, and normally the, the away team is responsible for that, they get a 5 or a 6% commission. Mm. They'd have picked up 
they'd have picked up you know, a few hundred quid. Uh, instead, Bolton ended up with fifteen grand. Uh, Colchester ended up with eight, and of course they had to host the match. They had to incur the costs of, of course, hosting, yeah. uh, floodlights, showers, you know, everything else that goes along with it. Um, and they ended up with less money. If if all of those Bolton fans had turned up, Colchester would have made over fifty grand. They ended up with eight. So it it does seem that this this system, which you know it, it's it's better than nothing. Mm. Uh, it means that those clubs in the lower leagues with the big support bases, can actually make quite a bit of money out of this. Yeah, have the EFL responded to Robbie Collins? Because, I mean, on the face of it, as you say, it just seems a corollary of the fact that some clubs are bigger than others, unfortunately. That, that's right. But, you know, we've always said that if you are a smaller club and, and you're hosting a bigger one, it's you're entitled to a couple of decent paydays yeah, a year. Course, yeah, um, and you know, if if you're if you're Fleetwood or Accrington, and you've got Sunderland coming to town, then then you know that the ground is going to be sold out, mm. you know, home and in a way, yeah. and and you will make some additional money. Um, it, it looks as if this is isn't really going to reflect that particular position. Um, and also, I think it 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 makes a bit of a mockery of the the wage caps because if if you are going to have clubs generating a lot more money through the EFL's own system then why do you have a flat wage cap in the divisions when it's clearly geared towards generating more money for for some clubs than others yeah fair point well one more news story before we have a lovely interview uh which it was a lovely interview Kieran I think um uh, one place is a long way from Norbury Kieran is Australia uh but in Australia um for <laughs> Uh, a former Aussie rules player has been awarded an insurance payout of almost £1 million for sports-related concussion, which led to brain damage. Um, this could have implications here, couldn't it? As we've seen the family of Jeff Astle campaigning for some time now about the possibility of head injuries from footballers persistently heading a ball, as Jeff Astle did magnificently throughout the 60s and 70s. Yes, yeah, and, and we always say that we're, we're a married couple these days, and I've actually written down in my notes, Jeff Astle, but this, this refers to an Aussie rules player called Sean Smith, um, and, and he suffered quite a few head injuries because Aussie rules is is pretty pretty brutal sport, um, and he has now effectively you know, suffered significant damage, um, and, th- and this, is, this has generated this particular payout. But when Jeff Astle died, and he was only 59 mm. when he died, um, the, I, th- I think the, the autopsy uh, suggested that he was suffering from chronic traumatic encephalopathy, encaf- or something like that. Encephalopathy, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, this this could have been connected to to his career. So therefore, it was an industrial accident or an industrial injury. injury yeah. Now, the, the potential implications for football. If, uh, if if there's a test case here in the UK, um, could be very very significant uh, in terms of players who uh, you know, especially if you've got centre halves and centre forwards who who spend a lot of the time in the air. Um, if they are suffering from either early set Alzheimer's, uh, as been alleged by uh, remember Ali McLeod, the the former Scottish manager for the '78 World Cup. Yes, uh, he. Yeah. He died early, and and his family are convinced. I think he was the centre half, and his his family are convinced that the two things are linked. As are other players. I know the PFA have given uh, some money, uh, but it's, it's relatively little towards research in this area. Mm. Um, but this this could be a potential time bomb for football because you know we know that you know constant 
constant head head interaction does does potentially cause uh, trauma of this nature. Mm. I mean, are we talking about a, a generation previous to this one? Because you know, the the, the balls that Jeff Astor were heading were were much heavier, weren't they? They were much more solid than the balls that we're using now. And also, you know, the modern football is very, very conscious of concussion protocols. Uh, it took a while for us to catch up with other sports like rugby, but this is something that the sport is clearly aware of, isn't it? I think I think it's aware of. I, I think it's something which the, the sport doesn't particularly want to get involved with because the more publicity for it is, is going to enhance the, the likelihood of some form of a test case. Um, you know, we've we've played park football, you know, all our lives, I'm sure, and we, you know, we we're used to uh, the, the rather robust balls that we were used mm. used down there. Um, you know, the, the modern football it, it certainly is far more waterproof, and it's an improvement on on the old product. But uh, you know, perhaps some proper research needs to be done to to see the impact on on footballers. Uh, certainly, there have been uh, there has been evidence of footballers as as a as an industri- as an industry mm. uh suffering a greater degree of alzheimer's than other other industries now that could be a function of many things yeah but uh you know I, uh, unless you do the proper research i don't think you can find the findings uh f- pointing one way or the other yeah and i think the premier league would probably argue or football would probably argue that this would take 30 years to do the proper research because if they haven't got figures to compare them to from the 60s and 70s they would say well you know we we need to we need to know how bad it was before and how much better it is now so and as you say it's it's probably something they will hope to kick under the carpet um kieran we we had a chat earlier to sani rudravajala uh is a berry fan he took to the airwaves to document their demise in the excellent podcast called out of our league um we chatted to him earlier and this is what he had to say to us Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. (laughs) 
Sunny, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are in a similar position, uh, you and I, uh, with your brilliant pod out of our league, because we're both doing podcasts we, we'd rather not have to be doing, to be perfectly honest. But to put your love of Berry into some sort of context, how did you come to be a Berry fan? Well, what I should say, uh, hello, by the way, uh, I'm very excited to be uh, with you both as a, as a bit of a fanboy, you know, listening to all the episodes that have been out. And in fact, actually, I should take this moment for all Berry fans to thank uh, both of you, Palace and Brighton fans, for the banners that your clubs uh, made to supporters when we were kicked out of the league. So Berry fans haven't forgotten that. But um, yeah, my my journey into becoming a Berry fan was uh, my best mate, Steve, took me down for a, for a game for his birthday. Uh, it was a 2-0 win against West Brom in the old Division 1. And I kind of got uh, the bug from there. Uh, at some point, it became a quitter kid. So I could afford to actually go. And then it just took over my life. I got so obsessed. I bought a massive bass drum. Uh, <laughs> I bought it on eBay. It was somewhere in Kent, and I didn't really have any idea of geography. I got somebody to pick it up for me. Um, and I just got carried away with it. At home and away, I was taking it, losing a significant range of hearing, I'm sure. Um, getting called all names under the sun. There was a guy at Rochdale, uh, drove it. He had his daughter in the back seat. He pulled over, wound a window down. You can shove that drum up your ass, uh, which uh, was a delightful thing to say to me. Um, Luton fans as well, they've, they've said, who's the wanker with the drum? They've, they've sang that at me. Um, but yeah, all, other, all than that, I've retired from the drum, I should mention now. But yeah, a uh, big Berry fan, and, and that's kind of how I got into that. <laughs> uh, yes, um, if anybody can tell you how to remove a drum from your posterior, it will be Kieran, by the way. He has a, a wide range of knowledge when it comes to things like that, because it was strangely because of his past as an accountant. So was everybody else in your, in your class a City or United fan then? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, there was me and my two, well, my two best mates were Berry fans and kind of drew me into it really. Um, so I don't know, does that make us a bit hipster, I guess, in this context, supporting your small local team and not the big, massive uh, uh, multinationals? I don't know. But yeah, we, we got sucked into it. I mean, it's real football, isn't it? You can you can go there and you can see it all. You're right next to it. And, uh, you know, you can run into... Uh, the reserve goalie in the local Asda buying a load of beer afterwards. Yeah, it makes you correct. It means you occupy the moral high ground while the rest of your mates at school do not, basically. Because um, I've long argued that when you're when you're born, when your birth is registered, your local football club should also be registered on it as well. And if you don't support them when you grow up, you need to give a good reason for not doing so. Um, and people like Kieran, who support about 12 teams at the same time, are just totally wrong. Um what have the last 12 months been like for you, Sani? Are you still angry? Hmm, well, I think when I look and see what's happening now, it's very frustrating as a fan to see that on the face of it, it's not like it's not like we've martyred ourselves and now everything's suddenly sorted. Hmm. So I, I wouldn't say I'm so angry anymore because we've had something positive to put our energy in, you know, because I've joined the Berry AFC uh, volunteer groups. So I'm on the media team there and I'm following the story, making this podcast series. So for me, and I know for a lot of fans who are involved in it, they've had a positive outlet. So, but, you know, for example, in episode one, where we, we go right the way back to the beginning and think about it again, you can't help but think, well, how on earth did this happen? And what could we have done differently? And could the EFL have done more? And these thoughts run round and round, but at least we've had something positive to, to go away and, and do in the meantime anyway. And why did you decide to start the podcast and has it helped? 
Uh, well, uh, my journey into making this, I was actually a, a science teacher uh, for nine years. And um, through Hooker by Crook, there was this new voices uh, thing going on at the BBC. And I kind of got quite far on that. And at some point, I pitched this idea of a podcast following what was happening uh, at, at Berry because, uh, you know, I'd been massively involved in it as a fan. I'd done quite a bit in the media at the time talking about what happened to Barry and I knew there was a story here that that we needed to share and I'd met so many brilliant people involved in it from from the fan who started her own uh, museum exhibition and got a Barry shirt into London Fashion Week to uh, the the couple who live just off Gig Lane in the 30s and are spending all the free time like forming a Phoenix club you know doing all the fundraising and everything themselves you know there's loads of brilliant people involved and I felt it was a story that needs to be shared you know as it's happened with everything else going on in the world it's kind of you know taken on even more significance you know in one of our episodes we're there listening to the Atmos the atmosphere at Chester game and I was thinking wow when is the next time I'll ever hear like Mm. a football stadium sound like this It, it was a terrible start. I mean, it, the demise of Berry happened to coincide with the start of our podcast, um, which was a, a very sad coincidence. But as the story was unfolding, each week, Kieran would tell me the latest shenanigans is the nicest word we found to use about them. And each week, as a football fan, I used to think, well, that, that's that's fine. This, is, this has gone far enough. Somebody will step in to stop this. This can't end the way it seems to be ending. And then... And I, mean, I was devastated when when the club went under. So God knows how you people felt, and because there was there were the, there must have been moments when you just felt this is surreal. This isn't happening. This one man is literally taking down our club, our livelihood, and my drum, basically. <laughs> um, I do think. I mean, when you when you go all the way back, I know I know Kieran's talks at length about SD one and SD two, Stuart Day and Steve Dale. The seeds for our demise were sowed in my opinion, before Steve Dale, you know, with the, you know, as Kieran's gone into in depth, like, you know, selling the car park spaces off at 10 yeah. grand a pop was yeah. just absolutely bonkers, you know. Um, so I suppose Steve Dale, he, he, you know, he's he's an interesting character, isn't he? And we we don't know what he's going to do next, do we? We're all, we're all just, you know, waiting to see what, what the next statement could possibly be. Because even right now, as we speak, Berry AFC have got themselves in the league and are, and are ready to go. Uh, Berry FC don't have that, but they are officially still in existence. And, and Mr. Dale's come out and said he wants to start a team playing friendlies and possibly even enter a, another team next season, which would just be absolutely insane as well. So... Yeah, it's it's been an absolute roller coaster, isn't it? It's crazy. Yeah, interesting is a word that Kieran has occasionally used on air, off air. It's very much not the sort of word that Kieran uses about Steve Dale. I mean, Kieran talking about the 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 Phoenix Club, which of course everyone in football wishes well. What what are the finances like of starting a club up from scratch, Kieran? I mean, how much does it would it take? Do you think to to get a club established and to get them rolling? Uh, it, it's relatively easy to start up a club. Uh, it, it's your ongoing costs, which will be the challenge. Normally, you've just got to go and pay a registration fee to a league. You need to come normally to an arrangement with a local council or another club to to rent a pitch. Um, and, and then you go from there. And I think the the, the potential for Berry AFC is, is certainly there. I mean, if you, if you look to see what happened with FC United, AFC Wimbledon. And, and I think from, from your point of view, Sani, Actually, you're, you're going to enjoy uh, the experience of, of supporting this club because I suspect it will h- uphold your values as well in a way that 
uh, you know, Berry Berry Football Club under SD1 and SD2 probably never did, but it was still part of you uh, because it's the club you've supported since since you first went along. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, through the series, we've gone to Scarborough, we've spoken to AFC Wimbledon, you know, we've we've had a chat, we've gone down to Maidstone and found out what it was like starting again. And every single person we've spoken to has told us that it's going to be a, a hell of an experience, you know, e- even against the backdrop of what we've got at the moment, we know that's not going to be forever. And eventually all the fans will be together. And even for like the friendlies I've been to, uh, and I've seen like the guy, I only know him as the South Stand shorts guy. He's a guy who <laughs> always wears shorts, no matter home or away, like whatever the weather, he's always wearing shorts. And I saw him, he was there first friendly. Um, and you see, you see the same faces. So I think as soon as we can get everyone back, it's going to be even more special. But having all the fans together and going on this ride together, from what I've heard of it, from everyone else we've spoken to, is going to make it a really exciting experience. I love the sound of South Stand Shorts Guy. We used to have a guy at Palace. It was, it was a, a almost a cliche cartoon punk. If, if you had a punk rocker in the dandy, he would look like this. He had the, you know, the proper battered leather jacket and the, the big Mohican. And we, we just used to call him the punk. And I would chat to him at away games and we bumped into each other once in Stratham High Road. Had nothing to say to each other. Outside of football context, no conversation whatsoever. Um, what's been the res- what's been the response to to the pod? Have you had any response from? Uh, I suppose you should still call them official Barry. Have you been uh, the victim of one of Steve Dale's bizarre, angry rants? Well, at the moment, no. Um, he did release a statement, you know, where he, where he mentioned the proms and had a had a had a thing about the BBC. And when I was scrolling down, it just said "and to the BBC," and I thought, "Oh my god." Has he has he heard about the pod? Is this what's going on? And uh, you know, thankfully for us, it, it, for Mark Mark Crossley and I, who's making it with me, it wasn't about us. Whether there is something in the future, I don't know. But I mean, that that previous statement he released actually uh, caused a load of new members to join Berry AFC. So I suppose, in a way, what do I do? I want him to listen and, and say something horrible. Is that good for us? I don't know. <laughs> All publicity is good publicity. <laughs> that, well, that's that's well, that's a theory that Kieran works on, which is why he provokes so many people deliberately. But I'm amazed that uh, Steve Dale hasn't mentioned Kieran in particular or, or sent some kind of horse's head for his bed with some of the things that Kieran said about him, um, rightly so. Um, and what about fans as well? I mean, fans of other clubs are listening to the pod as well, I understand. I mean, it's, it, it, it sounds brilliant. So is it something you're going to carry on doing? Well, it's a it's a ten part series, so each episode has a slightly different theme. So we start off looking at what happened to Berry and the ramifications for football in general, but then we go on from there. So episode three, we go to non league, and we think, right, we're going to start again. It's going to be non league. So what's non league like? And we go to mm-hmm. to Dulwich Hamlet, and um, yeah, like I said, we go to we go to Maidstone, we go to Hyde United, um, and so. We're bringing a lot of clubs and their experiences, and that's kind of been reflected in in the listeners as well. One of the first tweets we got was from a Portsmouth fan saying it it brought him to tears uh, because you know we we know how close Pompey were to the wall, and and we talked to Pompey as well. We talked to Ashley Brown, who's now at the Football Supporters Association, because they they went through it all, didn't they? They've gone from being on the brink to being fan owned, and then selling up to a billionaire. So who who better not to speak to than uh, than than the guys at Portsmouth? Um, I mean, it's all going to culminate in the first episode hopefully being 
in our first league game. So we're back in a league. Uh, but, you know, we just got to wait and see how it turns out. I mean, never, ever in a million years did we think it would be as, as complicated as it has been from the club not being liquidated to a mysterious guy from Barnsley saying he wants to buy the club. But, um, you know, we, we, we're kind of, we've, we've not got many fans, right? So far, I think our, the amount of people who've listened to it so far is more than there are in our actual average home gate. <laughs> oh, wow, so, really? and, and we're not making something purely for Berry fans. It's for it's for anyone who loves football and uh, anyone, you know, my wife, she hates football. <laughs> but even she, you know, she's very biased, but she's really enjoyed the the stories because there's there's brilliant humans involved in this from from the woman who chained herself to the stadium to two MPs battling it out with each other. Um, and there's not in Berry, Berry North, by the way, there's only a hundred people uh, to swing the vote there, so uh, oh, wow. it could rest on the pod. I don't know. <laughs> that's a, that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And if it's uh, in our experience, it takes about six months for wives to get thoroughly fed up with the pod. They'll, <laughs> they'll like it at the start, trust me. They'll be really enthusiastic. But after after the, the six months of disappearing twice a week for an hour. Um, and also, can I please, Sally? Can I ask you, beg of you, please, don't go down the Dulwich Hamlet route. It, uh, that club is far too vegan for its own good. It's, it's, <laughs> they've got too many fans with strange beards doing odd things with cheese. Basically, it's, um, <laughs> they're only they're only down a rush. I know a lot of them as well. I shudder every time I walk past the place. Is there anything in particular you've you've learned from doing the pod, Sunny? Well, I think in the beginning, after what happened to to Barry, I always thought right. We need to be a hundred percent fan owned, and you know we talk to the people at FC United, and they they steadfast stick with that. Mm. But then after, after you speak to like Portsmouth and um, you know even AFC Wimbledon considered considered selling a stake uh, at the time to get Plough Lane sorted, it definitely made has made me think. Well, perhaps something you know akin to the German model might be what we're more after because there's a limit to how far you can go as a fan-owned club. We, we, you know, we spoke to one of uh, someone at Kieran's, a big fan of Nicola Palios, and she told us that when they took over at Tranmere, they originally thought they could get up to the championship. And now they kind of feel that's not sustainable. And I think if we go down the pyramid and we think, well, if we're going to stay as a fan-owned club, where will we get to versus where would we get to with a bit more investment? But so I think for me, the, the thing I've really taken away well, two things would be, one, we've got a, a brilliant set of fans and fans definitely can run a football club. But also for me, I think maybe 100% fan owned in the current context of where the rest of football seems to be might not get us to where we want to get to. Because ultimately, you know, we were in the Football League for for 125 years. We want to get back there, really, ultimately. Um, can that happen without a bit more investment? I don't really know just yet. But we're in it for the ride anyway. That's well, that, I mean, that's, that's been one of the themes of the pod in recent weeks, Kieran, isn't it? How far you can go with fan ownerships. We've seen Wrexham uh, probably deciding to sell... Uh, fans clubs to sell to somebody you know, with with actual money. So there is a limit to how, how far you can go with fan ownership, Kieran, isn't there? Yes. I mean, if, if you take a look at just how expensive it is to run a football club, and, and I've been doing some work on even National League, you know, the, the vast majority of the time you're losing money. So you, so you need somebody to underwrite those losses. Now, if it's you as a group of fans, yeah, we, we've all got different personal financial circumstances and, and there's relatively few people that can afford to, to subsidize a football club so if somebody who who is wealthy comes along it, it's it, it's a tricky situation you know do, do you just sort of say well we love what we're doing at present let's stick at it or do you have ambitions in terms of climbing the football pyramid and there's no right answer 
to these things. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen those clubs that have stayed as community owned. Uh, then you take a look at Wickham Wanderers, who who have punched above their weight for years as a fan owned club, and then they finally gave in last last February, um, and now they're in the championship. You know, which which is something they couldn't have believed in uh, or even hoped for. Uh, I, I think a couple of years ago. Now, Sunny, finally, uh, if you're a regular listener to our pod, as, as you say you are, and uh, this is not a test, by the way, you'll know about my, my kit fetish. What kit have you gone for? Well, I am wearing a, uh, I'm wearing what are 2011 uh, maroon and gold uh, promotion shirts Ooh. from, uh, from uh, our time at Chesterfield. Uh, that would be, be a shirt I would, I'd really go for. That sounds nice. That's I look forward to a photograph of Kieran wearing that. Is Kieran has no compunction about wearing other people's football shirts, whereas I'm still recovering from match of the day two when somebody put a Man United scarf around my neck when I was asleep. I'm still getting stick for it, but Kieran, Kieran, Kieran will basically wear any shirt you send him, essentially for publicity. I, 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 I draw the line because I remember that time when when my Russian girlfriend turned up wearing a Barcelona shirt and, and a fur coat and not very much else. And uh, I sent her away because it reminded me too much of Palace, Kevin. So I do have some standards. Well, you did, but you also <laughs> denied yourself a night of passion. So uh, I'll give it, no, I, actually, I appreciate that. Yeah, I approve of that, Kieran. Well done. I, I would certainly not be able to go out with a girl wearing a blue and white striped shirt that looks like a Tesco's carrier bag, uh, partly because I'm happily married, obviously, and occasionally Ali does listen to the pod on her way home in the car. Um, uh, Sally, uh, sorry, guests always say, oh, it's a bit more chatty when we interview than we thought it would be. You sometimes say things that you probably shouldn't say out loud. Um, That's you, Sally. You've you've relaxed us so much, we're saying things we probably wouldn't say normally. (laughs) Um, Where can people listen to the pod? Well, it's it's been commissioned by BBC Sound, so you can listen to it there, but it's actually available everywhere, you know. So perhaps after you've listened to The Price of Football, wherever you've listened to that, you can click on uh, on Out of Our League from BBC Sounds as well, wherever we get it. Yeah, well, we would wholeheartedly recommend that people do that. Have you enjoyed it, Sandy, doing the pod? Yeah, I have. I mean, it has been tough, uh, especially in lockdown. But, I mean, if you think I started off as a science teacher and now I've actually quit my job and change career off the back of making this. Um, and I'm, I'm starting an MA in broadcast journalism through through wow. making this process. So, yeah, I, I have, certainly have enjoyed it, I suppose. And it's, it's given me a lot of expo- skills, and I've met a lot of brilliant, brilliant people, um, which I, w- I would never have had the chance to otherwise. So, yeah, it's it's been life-changing for me uh, personally, uh, and it's a life-changing story for everyone involved. Yeah, all I can say, Sonny, is as, as a fan of a club that was 10 minutes from going out of business and Kieran's a fan of a club that over the course of four or five years was almost constantly on the verge of going out of business, we, of course, wish you every success. We we know the potential pain and we know the, the pain you've been through. But I think it's amazing that you, that un- terribly unfortunate event has been a positive, life-changing one for you as well. It just shows you what football can do. So we wish you every joy in your future broadcast career um, until, of course, you become head of BBC and are turning down projects that we pitch to you. Um, uh, if that is the case, just, just, re- just remember who the podcast was that first publicised you, Sandy. Just remember that. <laughs> I won't um, forget. <laughs> and, and, yeah, good, best of luck with, with everything. And hopefully, you know, once Berry have got their first game up and running, perhaps we can get you back on just to give us an update on how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Brilliant. All right, mate. Take care now. Cheers. You too. Uh, it's delightful to talk to Sunny Kieran, and it just 
shows how somebody's life can change, but how out of great sorrow can come some some joy. And I, I just really like the notion, Kieran, that Sonny's actually enjoying himself and has been assured by fans of so many other clubs. He mentioned, you know, AFC Wimbledon, FC United, and many others. That there, there are some fun times ahead for Berry, but also really interesting talking about the notion of already whether fan ownership is actually the right way to go and because you're talking about a club here that wants to get back into the league and can't necessarily do that just with the finances of the fans. Yeah, I, I think in certainly on a short-term basis, fan ownership is the way forward. Decisions can be made uh, where everybody buys into them. Longer term, we've seen what's happened at both Portsmouth and Wiccan Wanderers where, where private ownership has come back in. Um, I think at some point in time, if if you are a fan owned club, you, you you need to have that sit down decision. Remember, we, we were talking about it in respect of Wrexham yeah. relatively recently. Is, is what what do you want from your club? Uh, you know, if, if if it's to become higher and higher, then that's going to need some form of funding. And realistically, fans can't do that. Or if you just enjoy the fact that you're you're meeting on a regular basis every week or a couple of weeks with like minded people with whom you've struck up a relationship over the years, then, then that too can be fine. Mm. I also loved Sandy's enthusiasm for broadcasting because you know what it's like with me and you, Kieran. About one o'clock on a Wednesday, you go, "Oh, we've got a pod to do, haven't we? Have we? Have I missed it?" But he's just like really excited about broadcasting. It's great, and he's really pleased. To, I always like somebody who's, who's pleased to be in our company, Kieran. So Sandy will definitely, yes. Sandy will definitely be coming back. Um, but I tell you what, Sandy, yeah, Sandy's a, a novice in broadcasting, and what he needs to do is listen to someone like you, Kieran, as he gives his uh, final message to our listeners. Well, listeners, uh, th- thank you again for your support. We- we've now had over a thousand reviews yeah. on uh, on Apple Podcasts, um, and uh, if-, if you can subscribe to the show, if, if you can give us a five star rating, by all accounts, doesn't matter what you say. You, know, you-, you can say it'd be better with a Swiss Ramble and Justin Morehouse if you really want to. Uh, it- it's not going to affect our egos. Uh, we- we're not going to cry when we read things of this nature. It-, it just helps us in the charts. It helps produce a guy. Uh, fund our trip to the British Virgin Islands where we both get expelled from the country upon setting setting foot there. Yeah, and uh, I'm expecting a five-star review from the Financial Times this week at the very least and for the next eight weeks as well. So, um, Sani, that's how you do it. And uh, uh, we look forward to meeting you all again on Monday, which is our questions pod. If you've got a question for us, uh, as we keep saying, it doesn't matter how broad or how narrow your question is. It can be about the, the smallest club in the country. It can be about Barcelona. It can be about the Cayman Islands. It's questions at priceoffootball.com. Until then, have a lovely weekend. Stay safe, boys and girls, and go and support your local non-league football if you can. I'm for the